Good morning, family. Good morning. I hope you guys are doing well today. I want to start off with this because the last, last couple of weeks, I asked you guys how you're doing. Um, you, you've been really depressing. And so, uh, so I'm going to start with a different way to give you some context, okay? Uh, because how many of you all know right now we're sitting in an air-conditioned room, right? That's a blessing, isn't it? How many of you ever been on a mission field before? Anybody ever been on a mission field before? Uh, I just want to let you know. 99.9% of the churches around the world, they don't have AC. Uh, and, and they have church services in, in a lot hotter temperatures than even what we're experiencing. So we already got something to be thankful for because we're sitting in this beautiful building that God has provided for us. But here's the deal. This last week, how many of y'all know that the Diamond Hogs are doing well right now? How many of y'all know? Okay. All right. That's good. All right. I, I like the Razorbacks. It's great. I live in Arkansas. I'll support them. But here's the deal. Y'all can't be getting more excited about a baseball team than you're getting, than you're getting about Jesus. Because here's the deal. I know that y'all get excited whenever the Razorbacks, even if it's track and field, are doing good because y'all got to have something to cheer for. But Jesus has been winning championships for you every day since you were born. So will you guys please make some noise for Jesus? I said, would you make some noise for Jesus? I think he's worthy. Hold on. No, 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 no. Hold on. Nope. Nope. Because I see you Hogs fans making total idiots out of yourselves at games. Because you're doing spirit fingers, all that. Some of the manliest men around here look incredibly effeminate calling in the Hogs. Okay, but you're willing to do that for a college team. But I just asked you if you were thankful for Jesus, and I saw three people willing to get on their feet for Jesus. Come on, people. We're not talking about a sports team. We're talking about the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, your Savior, your Lord, the creator of the universe. If you guys are thankful for Jesus, let's make some noise for him this morning. There we go. Come on now. Okay. All right, now sit down and shut up. I got some stuff to say this morning. <laughs> uh, sorry, to, sorry to go a little Pentecostal on you there, but, but uh, I just actually got back from a conference this last, this last week. We were, my wife and I were down at Bethany, down in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and that's actually the church Pastor Rick came out of. A lot of amazing pastors and leaders have come out of that church. I mean, some big hitters. I mean, the, honestly, probably the, the people that are pastoring the churches that have come out of Bethany are pastoring over 100,000 people every weekend. Um, it's just amazing what that church has produced. But, but they were worshiping God. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, and it, I believed them. Like, I believed <laughs> that they were serious about their relationship with God. And, and I love worshiping God with you guys, man. I love hearing the voices behind me. I love hearing when people are desperate. Y'all, some of y'all can't sing to save your life. I mean, you can't, but you give it everything that you have. And I just know that Jesus is worth that. He's worthy of everything that we have. But while I was down there, there, when people communicate, people preach back like the whole service. And uh, it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. I'm not saying that's what I want you to do. I'm just saying every once in a while, it's okay to get excited about who God is and who Jesus is. Amen? Amen. 
Well, hey, we had a, our team uh, heading to Germany that took off, or they're getting ready to take off, uh, if they haven't already. Uh, we've got a team of people heading to Germany. I want to pray for them real quick. Father God, we just lift up that team to you, the leaders. Uh, God, we thank you that you're already setting up divine appointments. God, as they uh, are even on the plane. God, I, I, I thank you that, that we live in the mission field, Lord. We don't, we're, we're not going on missions trips. We, we are on mission. But... But sometimes you call us to come, go out of our comfort zone to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And we're going to be obedient to that, Father. But I pray even as they're on the plane, they're going to meet people that don't know you. They're going to see opportunities to minister to people. But God, as they, they go into Germany, as they're ministering to these women that are, are caught in, in sex trafficking. God, as they're just ministering to people on the streets. I pray in Jesus' name that you would use them as a catalyst to create revival around them. And the places that they go, the contacts that they meet with, that they would be encouraged, God, and emboldened and strengthened, God, to continue to do the work. We thank you that you've sent us, you're continuing to send us, and we'll go. I pray that you be with that team. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, today I want to talk to you uh, just because uh, about the question, who is my neighbor? Everybody say that, who's my neighbor? Uh, Or you can say it properly, who is my neighbor? Uh, You can say it that way if you like. But the reason why I think that question is important is because we're in summertime. I don't know how it is for you, but when summertime hits, I get a little selfish. Summertime hits and I just kind of want to be like, I I just want to do my thing, you know? And it's hard. You can't be selfish when you have four kids. Or you can try, but life is just going to stink for you. It's not going to be good for you. But, but I still feel that way. I still feel like, God, like, what would I give for my kids to actually sleep in? Now, y'all that have teenagers, you don't worry about that anymore. Like, when are my teenagers going to get up? You know, because they're sleeping until 2 o'clock in the afternoon. But, but we got little kids, and so it's like summertime. Like, we're breaking all the, we'll, we'll keep them up till midnight just to try to get them to sleep in like an hour extra in the morning, and they still won't do it, you know. You still got those kids, their head are going to pop off the pillow at 6 o'clock in the morning, even after staying up until midnight. But, but I get a little bit selfish, and I get a little bit, honestly, lazy in my perspective. And, and, and what I mean by that is I don't know that I'm as sharp in looking for opportunities and looking for people that, that need encouragement. Um, people that might just be away from the Lord. And, and so this morning, I want to talk about this encounter that Jesus had with a religious person that was asking that question, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? In Luke 10, it says this, verse 25, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Like already starting off, I like, you can tell like this guy's, not a very cool person. <laughs> like, ooh, an expert in religious law. It does not sound like somebody I probably want to hang out with too often. But he wants to test Jesus. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, well, what does the law of Moses say? And I love that he asked that question, but then I love that he asked this next question, how do you read it? In other words, there's a way that it was written but I know that you have a specific filter that you see everything through. And so 
tell me, explain to me, how do you see this? What's the filter that you see? And he responded with, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind. Got it right. Perfect. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So this basically like religious lawyer, that's kind of who he was. Uh, He's looking for loopholes in how he's living in his lifestyle. And, uh, and he says, love God and love my neighbor as myself. Now, how many of y'all know we love some me? We all love some me. All of us are good at this. Even if you don't want to admit it, you might think that you flew in here on angel's wings and perched yourself in your chair. But at one point or another, we are all a little bit selfish. We love some me. It says in Ephesians 5.29 of the message translation, no one abuses his own body, does he? No, he feeds and pampers it. Man, we pamper ourselves. I'm amazed and surprised at how many men are getting manicures and pedicures these days. Like something's up, something, something's going on. My wife goes to these places and tells her, like, baby, there are all kinds of men up in there getting pedicures and manicures. And I'm like, well, you know, that just means Jesus has to be coming back soon because things are getting weirder and weirder. Now, she said she went in there the other day and saw Ethan, and I don't know what. I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. That didn't happen. That didn't happen. No, he likes massages a little more than pedicures, manicures. So. Uh, and so all of us have a tendency. We, Jesus could tell that, that this man had an ulterior motive with his question. He, he, he's really just trying to take care of himself. And I can imagine Jesus thinking like, now this would be like the Bennett version of what I think Jesus would be saying. But I think Jesus is basically thinking, okay, look, dude, you're the expert, right? So, so this is what I want you to do. When you go to the synagogue to find yourself the best place in there so that people can see you, uh, when you go out in the streets and pray and make sure that everybody can see you praying, uh, when you go through all this incredible effort to exhort yourself and to lift yourself up and to glorify yourself, take all of that energy Take all of that creativity, take all of that and point it towards other people. Take all that effort and energy that you're taking and taking care of yourself, making yourself look good and just point that towards other people, towards your neighbor's well-being. If you do this, then you'll live. And then I just picture Jesus like dropping the scroll and walking off like... But that's the James Bennett version because the truth is this. The truth is Jesus has just as much compassion for religious-minded people as he does for lost people. And that is hard for me to even say. Because religious-minded people, people that have a spirit of religion, drive me crazy. Like, I don't want to be around them. But the truth is this. Jesus is spending all this time with this man talking to him because he loves him. Because he's trying to help him have a different perspective. To be gracious. To be loving. 
this man, he needs a little more clarity on the whole neighbor thing because, you know, he certainly doesn't want to go around spending love on people that he shouldn't be, that don't deserve it, that he doesn't like. And I, I would encourage you, though, don't judge this guy too quickly because we all ask the same question. I ask the same question. Like, God, like, who's really my neighbor? Like, Jesus, is my neighbor, like, my neighbors on Facebook? Are those my neighbors? You know, is my neighbor, like, my literal neighbor in my neighborhood, the people that live close to me, around me? Are, are my neighbors, uh, the people that I work with, are, are those my neighbors? Does it have to? Do I? Does it have to be people? Are my neighbors people that are different than me? That don't agree with me politically? That don't have the same skin color as me? That just see life a little bit differently than? Are those? I mean, Jesus, are those really my neighbors too? Like, do I have to treat all those people? with the same kind of care, love, and compassion that I treat myself. Some of you parents this last week probably asked God, God, are my kids my neighbors? <laughs> Good Lord. God, are teenagers neighbors? Because I, I don't know. It's hard. This guy is, is doing the exact thing that we do sometimes, trying to find a loophole. But if you look for the definition of neighbor in the Greek, in the Hebrew, it comes back with this simple word, near. Near. It's whoever you're near to. And not like, oh, I'm near with my family. Like you like them. No, just hmm, close enough. You're near. You're in proximity. You live in the same city. You live in the same state. You live in the same country. You live on planet Earth with them. Near. Just near. That's what it means. Neighbor. So Jesus defines neighbor with a story. He says, look, there's these three guys in this story. There's a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. Sounds like a setup for a bad joke. Okay, there's a Jew, a Protestant, and a Catholic. Stop me if you've heard this one. But, but he's illustrating, using these, because you've got to remember, he's speaking to a religious audience. He's speaking to religious leaders. He says there's this guy, this Jew, a Jew, he's traveling on this main road from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he gets mugged. He gets robbed. He gets beaten down. They take all his clothes. They, they leave him there, bloody in the ditch, broken, left for dead. I'm sure at this point, this guy's like, look, I just asked who's my neighbor, and he, this is like getting really complicated. But I think there's so much in that, because I think sometimes we go to God and we just say, God, uh, I need a simple answer. I got a prayer today. I need a simple answer. And you've already decided what God's answer is before you ask, ask him. Because you, you, you don't want to have to deal with being uncomfortable. So you come to God because it's good to pray, because Christians pray. And so you come to God and you say, God, uh, who's my neighbor? Okay, good, just the people I like. That's great. Okay, so the people, that's great. Thank you, God. 
but, but more times than not, God's answer is not going to be that simple because God is way more interested in developing and shaping your character than he is in you being comfortable. And so he's going to spend some time with this guy because he understands that there's a deep root of being judgmental and critical and mean. And so he's got to build this thing to try to help this person because he loves him to see where he's missing it. A lot of these principles uh, Pastor Rick covers in his book, Real Love in an Angry World. If you haven't ever gotten a copy of that, I encourage you to do it. But I, I want to I talk about three responses to people that are angry and hurt. How do we treat them? Number one, I can keep my distance. I can keep my distance. The first person in the story that comes alongside this Jew is a priest. And his approach is just avoidance. Like, I'm just going to stay away from this. It says in verse 31, By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crosses to the other side of the road and passes him by. This is kind of the out of sight, out of mind. Like, I'll just pretend like I didn't see him. And it's a lifestyle of avoidance. He sees, he does see the guy. He's hurting, but he just walks by him. He ignores him. He doesn't want to have to get too close. Look, I've taken this approach sometimes even as a dad. Because anytime one of my kids throw up, like I just want to pretend like I don't, I didn't even see it. Like you can hear him, like there's this mess all over the floor. And I'm just like, what, what happened? <laughs> Cody, uh, I think one of the kids, they're making weird noises. There's some splatter noises too. Not sure what's going on. Might want to check that out. I'll have to be honest. Look, with every one of our kids, when our kids were, were new babies, newborns, I developed selective hearing. I don't know how it happened. It just happened. But we'd be sleeping, and they'd start crying, and I could not hear them. I, it's the weirdest thing, you know? Like, typically speaking, a pin drops, and I wake up and have my Glock ready to go, right? But a baby is screaming, and I'm like, huh. And, and here's the deal, like, I'm saying it jokingly, and I have to admit there were times I heard and just pretended like I didn't. But, but there were other times when we'd wake up in the morning and I, oh, oh, man. Good morning, baby. Wow, it's awesome. They slept through the night, huh? She's like, <laughs> they woke up four times crying, screaming, you know. But I think we all kind of do that at different times in our lives. Because... Man, it is really difficult to go and get in the mess. It's really difficult. Man, it, it smells bad. Uh, it's obnoxious. It's loud. It hurts, it hurts our ears. Uh, it hurts our wallets. It just it's difficult. When those things are happening, I think we all avoid because we just, it's, we don't want to be inconvenienced, troubled. 
But honestly, it just winds up making us very superficial. I know I've been there, man. I've told you stories before where, where God has told me to go and, and help somebody and give somebody some food or give somebody some money and, and I just, I justified not doing it because they were a panhandler. And I, and I was like, they're probably just using that money to go buy booze or whatever. It is not my job to judge what they're going to go spend the money on. It's my job to be obedient when God tells me to give. Period. And I'm not saying that you should go give money to every panhandler. Because, look, there are some people that are working it. They, they are more than capable to go get jobs and all that. But what I am saying is even if you notice the same people doing the same thing over and over and over again, you better be open still to being obedient if God tells you to go give. Because he may. He may. He may, he may. he may not, but he may. So the second guy is a Levite. Verse 32, a temple assistant, which is a Levite, walked over and looked at him there, but he also passed by on the other side. Number two, you can be intrigued, but not engaged. Like the Levite, he was just kind of indifferent. By the way, Levite is not a gene salesman, okay? Uh, they're actually, I'm sorry, that's a bad, bad dad joke. Jared gave me that one. Um, Levite's a temple assistant. So they're working around religion all the time in the temple, taking care of that stuff. So these first two guys are very religious guys. These are the guys that Jesus is talking to. This is the audience that he's around right now. I think it's important for us to understand religion does not make you loving. Like, clearly. Religion doesn't make you loving. It's, it's something dip, deeper than that. It's something more than that. You can be religious and go to service every week of your life and never love your neighbor as you love yourself. I've been in seasons like that. But the, I want you to think about this. This Levite sees the guy who's beaten up, and this has to be a pretty graphic scene. What does he do? He walks over, gets close to him, looks at him, and he's like, ooh, oh, that's interesting. And then walks away. What? Like he just walked over long enough, like, oh, I gotta get this on Snapchat. Oh man. I gotta, I'm gonna get a selfie. Selfie with this. And then and then just moves on. Just walks away. Man. We love to stare. But sometimes we hate to stop. And uh, if we don't stop, then, <laughs> man. Uh, it's kind of like if, if you've ever get a chance to go on a missions trip, don't go just for the photo ops. You know, don't, don't go just to take, to hold a, uh, hold a little orphan baby and get a picture with them. You know, don't do that. Do that, but don't just do that. Love them. Love them. Know their story. Know where they're know what's happening in their life. 
He's intrigued, but he's not engaged. Verse 33 says, then the despised Samaritan came along. The despised Samaritan, I'll, I'll talk about what that means. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Number three, you can get involved. You can get involved. The Samaritan was compassionate. Look, most of us, when we get sick, we don't feel good. How many of y'all would be honest, okay? When you get sick, you are high maintenance. Come on now. You want a lot of attention, okay? There's not enough people. There's a lot of people lying in church this morning. That's okay. That's why we're at church, because you can get right with Jesus and repent. But, but the truth is, almost all of us, when we get sick, this is how it is for me. When I get sick, I just want people to take care of me. But sometimes when other people get sick, I'm like, unless you're coughing up a lung, like if I, unless I can literally see an organ coming out of you, get over it. Buck up. Cowboy up. Right? I, I know that I can be that. I'm not always that compassionate towards people. Who, are, who is this person, the Samaritan? Jesus picked the one group that the Jews hated the most. There had been a feud going on between the Samaritans and the Jews for over 700 years. The Samaritans were this half-breed of people, uh, half-Jew and half-other nationalities. And the Jews saw them as lesser people. The Jews saw them as, quote-unquote, dogs. They treated them like it. Uh, The woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, so I love this. Jesus is digging in on these guys. Because not only do they have a religious spirit, but that religious spirit causes them to be racist. And so, so now he's setting it up. The hero of the story. <laughs> the only one that did what was right was one of the people that you hate the most. A Samaritan. The Jews hated them, they despised them. They were those people, and he was the only one that actually engaged, went and took care of them. How can you love your neighbor? First of all, you must see the need. You have to see the need, meaning you have to have some sympathy. Going back to verse 33 in the message translation, when he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him. His heart went out to him. If you have that verse in your own circle, when he saw When he saw so many times we can see throughout the Bible that our eyes are directly related to our hearts. Like what we see helps open the door for things to get in our hearts over and over again in the gospels we read when Jesus saw, when he saw, he had compassion. He had sympathy to recognize the needs of those around us. So many people need Jesus. But can we see them like that? We have to be sensitive. Love is sensitive. And I have to look beyond labels, beyond the exterior, exterior of people, beyond hatred and anger and sin and see a soul in need. I must see what they need. I must see what their need is. In Matthew 25, 38, it says, when did we see you a stranger and welcome you? or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king, this is Jesus, 
will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. You can't meet a need until you see the need, until you're willing to be sympathetic. And there's a lot of wounded people around you. In fact, there's wounded people sitting on the same row with you right now. There are people sitting near you, I guarantee you right now, that are wounded. They're wounded emotionally, physically. Some of them are wounded spiritually. You have no idea. But you can't help them if you, if you can't see. If you can't choose to open your eyes and see where they're at. Mother Teresa said that at the beginning of her ministry, she would walk by ministry opportunities. She'd walk by needs. And, and, but because she was walking by the needs, because she was around the needs, she justified that as being her ministry. But eventually she realized, I'm not ministering unless I go to their needs. Unless I stop, unless I have sympathy, unless I'm asking them, unless I'm talking to them. I'm not really doing ministry until I engage with where they're at. And why is it that we don't see it? Look, for most of us, it's not because we don't care. It's not because we don't care. It's not because you're hard-hearted. Because most of you are not. Some people are. But most of us aren't. The reason why we don't see is because we're moving too fast. We are moving way too fast. I find in my life, the busier I get, the less loving I am. When I get really busy, man, I, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm not very loving. Busyness will kill love quicker than anything. Busyness kills sympathy quicker than anything. You won't be able to actually love your kids, love your wife, love anybody around you until you're willing to slow down and see them and have sympathy for them. This is one of the biggest lessons that God taught me a while back. Um, when we, before we built this building, everybody was trying to figure out ways that um, we could raise some money and using different gifts and talents. A lot of people did a lot of different things. And I'm not good at a lot of things, but I'm really good at riding a bike. So I was like, maybe I could ride a bike and raise some money. So I made the decision that I was going to um, ride to all of our campuses, which <laughs> we have 17 now. I it would have killed me. But, but back then, uh, we had eight at that point. And so I made the decision, I'm just going to, I'm going to start at our Fayetteville campus and I'm going to connect all of our campuses across the state. I'm going to ride, and, and I rode about 100, or 450 something miles. And, um, but, but one of the biggest things that God taught me, because I'd driven a lot of those roads before. You know, I'd been down those roads. But when you're on a bike, you move slow. And the crazy thing is when you start riding a bike, you don't realize sometimes when you are driving on hills. I promise you, when you are on a bike, you realize when you are on hills. But the great thing about it is it caused me 
to slow down so that I could see the Arkansas that God sees. And so I saw churches that I could tell, man, they're probably struggling a little bit. There's probably pastors in there that are discouraged and wake up every day thinking about quitting. And I, and I saw people living in poor conditions in, in, in things that most of us would never consider homes. I saw these things. I've driven past them before. But it wasn't until I slowed down that I could see them. But the other thing is, I felt them. <laughs> I felt them. Uh, it was powerful for me because it's when you feel pain, you're much more sympathetic to people, to people that are probably living in pain. And so the pain that I was experiencing was I couldn't feel my feet or my hands. I had nerve damage, still can't feel my pinkies. Uh, and, and trust me, my booty, whoo, I was in some pain. But because I was feeling that pain and I was able to slow down, I felt like God just showed me, James, there are people across this state that are in pain. They hurt. Can you slow down to see them? Can you slow down to feel? Can you slow down? Number two, I must empathize with their pain. Sympathy starts with the eyes, but empathy happens in the heart. It's where it moves to a deeper place of compassion. Second half of verse 33 says this, when he saw that sympathy, when he saw him, his heart was filled with compassion. That's empathy. First his eyes had to kick in, but then his heart came along behind him. Empathy. Man, I, I was racking my brain. I know that I probably have a hundred stories of different times when, honestly, I probably had judged somebody. Um, I was frustrated with someone until I got to take the roof off of their life. Now, what I mean by that, I've done a lot of prayer walking throughout knowing the Lord. I just walked through neighborhoods and, and I would get teams of people. We walk through neighborhoods and pray for people. But what I tell them is ask the Holy Spirit to help you take the roof off of the house that you're praying for so that you can see what's really going on. That God can give you a supernatural vision to see these things. And um, God, there was one time in South Africa, we're in this place called Soweto. It's a slum city, essentially. And there was this kid. It was Easter Sunday. And look, when they go to church in Africa, they go to church. Like, we were in services for 12 hours. <laughs> okay, no AC, 
dirt floors, dust flying everywhere, over 100 degrees the whole time, church. But there was this kid all day long, kept trying to steal stuff from me, like all day long. Just constantly over by my bag and just trying to get trying to get at stuff in my bag, just trying to get stuff. And I'm like, I, I lost my salvation a couple times. Like I was just like so mad and, and frustrated and irritated at this kid. And so I would like tell people, I'm like, can you do something about this? Like this kid will not leave me alone. And they're just, oh, okay. Yeah, 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 sure, Brother James, sure. And then nothing would happen. They wouldn't do anything. He just kept coming back over and over and over again. So at the end of the day, end of the day, pastor comes to me and says, hey, um, would, you mind, would you mind walking with some of the kids? Some of the kids, their parents weren't there. Some of the, and and they're, they're very used to that area and that neighborhood. But... Um, if, if some of these kids walked with you and got the girls back to where they're staying, we stayed in the slums with them. We stayed in these homes. They're, they're just little shacks. But if they walk back and make sure they get back and after you, we drop off the girls, would you mind walking with some of the kids back to their homes? And I was like, sure. How many of y'all know what's getting ready to happen? So we go back and get the girls back to where they're staying. And I look around there he is. And so I'm like, oh, all right, you little punk. Let's go home. We walk home to his house. And uh, it looked like a lot of the other homes from the outside. I walk in and both of his parents completely strung out on drugs. Just not even functioning. Um, but, but, but as we're getting closer, he's, he's like, you have to, you have to be really quiet. And I said, okay. He's like, if my dad hears me coming in, he'll hit me. He'll beat me. He he, He doesn't like to be woken up. You never know what somebody is going through. They might be the most annoying, frustrating person on social media. Wearing you out, trolling everything. You never know what's going on in somebody's life. I just totally lost my notes. There they are. Until you get to see and feel, to empathize with where they're at. Church, we've got to stop and listen. We've got to be willing to stop and listen. Number three, I must put love into action. Put love into action. Verse 34, going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. And then he put the man on his own donkey and took him 
to an end where he took care of him. I thought it was interesting, you know, that the last time that a, Mary, a man was carried on a donkey to an end to be taken care of, it was the king of kings. And I, think, I think we treat every person who is hurting like they're royalty. When God looks at those hurting people, do you know how he sees him? Even if they're not believers, he sees his son. He sees his son when he sees those people. That's how he sees them. Because, what, because, because even though they haven't come to a place of accepting Jesus, God still gave his son for them. And so he says, that person has the value of my son on their life. So when, they, when God sees whoever, he sees his son. We should treat him like that. We should treat him like that. He responds in love, though. He goes over to him because love is action. Come on, DC talk. Love is a verb. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you don't. Some of you do. But it's action. And I love this too. He, he stopped. In one translation, it says he stooped down. He got on the man's level. He didn't pretend he was superior. He didn't talk down to him. He got on his, he stooped down. And then what did he do? It says he dressed his wounds. He dressed his wounds. He's not a doctor. Okay. He's not like, oh, let me grab my first aid kit off my donkey over here. I was prepared for such a thing as this. No. He didn't have any of that. You know what he used to bandage him? His own clothes. And it says that he, that he used wine and oils to soothe him. Why? That's what he had. That's just what he had. He didn't have anything else. He just used what he had. Listen, some of you think, man, this is all great, but you're a pastor. This is all great, but, but you know, there's people that are equipped for these kinds of things. God's asking you to just use what you have. Just use what you have. Use what you have. You may not feel like it's much. Let God decide if it's enough or not. But the, the fact is this. God has equipped you with everything you need already. It may not address the specific need in that moment. But guess what? It's going to address the most important needs. And that is them to feel loved and cared for. There may be somebody else that's going to be able to address the specific needs. But in that moment, what they need to know is that they have a loving heavenly father that sees them and cares about them and love them enough to send you over to them to give them whatever you had. So, so how does this play out, man? Oh, I could give you a long list of ways that you can show love in action. But let me just go with some simple ways. How many of y'all appreciate when you feel welcome to church in the morning? You know, when somebody's helping you find a parking spot, somebody's serving you some coffee. Look, I hear story after story of people. It changed their life just having somebody being friendly to them, just welcoming them to church. They never felt that before at all around the people of God. We have serve teams around here that every week and for funerals, and for other things that have nothing to do with our church, it's just people in our community, in our city. And they show up as the hands and feet of Jesus to take care of them. 
and it's making eternal impacts in people's lives. We have Dream Center. We have Adopt-A-Block where people, yesterday, we had a small team of people. I wish I could say it was a big team of people. But you know what? We'll take whatever God, God can use, whoever's just faithful. He's, he'll use whoever's just willing. But these people, we go into these communities. They're low-income places and, and, and they're trailer parks, mobile home communities. And they just go in and build relationship and play with kids and love on them and, and try to address practical needs that they may have. It's just, it's just, and the people that go, it's not like, okay, well, let's see here. I mean, are you, are you a, are you a nurse? Have you gone to school for this? We're going to love on some kids. We need to make sure you're certified to love on kids. Look, these people just, they just go and they use what they have. They just go and they use what they have. There's so many different ways. Union Rescue Mission doing so much across our state and our communities. They they can always use volunteers. They can always use people to come help them. I could go on and on and on. The point is this. Are you using what you have? Are you using what you have? Proverbs 3.27 says this. Never walk away from someone who deserves help. Your hand is God's hand for that person. Never, never tell your neighbors to wait until tomorrow if you can help them today. Can you agree with me that we have a lot of neighbors that still need Jesus? Something that every one of us can do, and it is the culture of our church. We can invite people to this place. That is our our mission statement is that we invite in our friends and family. We invite people in so that they might become fully devoted followers of Christ. I was checking myself on that. I'm like, I'm the pastor of this church. When is the last time I invited somebody to come? Just engage somebody. Hey, you go to church anywhere? If they say they do, move on. But if they say, no, I I haven't found a church, just engage them. Just say, hey, man, I I don't know necessarily all your story. If you have time, learn their story. But just say, hey, man, come to my church. Come to my church. Invite them. Ephesians 2.10. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does. The good work that he has gotten ready for us to do. Work we had better be doing. Remember how you met God and how he loved you? Some of us, we've been raised around church for so long, we've forgotten the grace and the love and the mercy that we've been shown, we've been given. We've, we can become numb to it. We can get entitled. Like, like we deserve it. None of us do. None of us ever have. I, ne- I did not mean for this message to be heavy, but I feel that there's conviction in this room, and I'm not, I'm not sorry about that. Not at all. Because I don't want to just have church, doggone it. I don't want to have a service. I don't want us to be in a spot where it's, well, well we got, you know, close to 2,000 people. We'll, maybe we can sustain that till Jesus comes back. No. I'm sorry. I'm not going to be okay with that. Because there are hurting and lost people 
There are neighbors. There are people that you are near and that I am near on a daily basis that need love and encouragement. I'm not saying they need to come to church here, but they need to meet their Savior. They need to see Jesus in us, to see us as an example of who he is, that they would want to be a part of what you have, to be a part of the body of Christ. Amen? Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for this word. Uh, I thank you for what the conviction you brought into my own heart. God, how I can just get so, so busy flying through life and not see, choose not to see, choose to avoid. God, um, there's even been times this last week where I get a, I get a call late at night and I don't want to answer it. I don't want to do it. I'm tired, God. And I know that I don't always get it right, but I thank you that by your grace, I responded to those phone calls and I, I was there for people that were hurting. God, I don't know what it looks like in every one of our lives, but, but I know this. I know this. We don't want to just be church people. We don't want to be religious. We want to try to find loopholes the people that we can love and maybe we don't have to love. God, help us just to love. God, help us to, to see our neighbors, to see the people around us and to meet those needs. I think this whole thing has to start with you seeing yourself the way that God sees you. Um, you cannot give what you don't have. You cannot truly love out of a place until you know that you're truly loved. It is hard for you to have compassion, grace, and mercy if it is not a deep-rooted experience that you have felt, that has changed you, that has broken you, that has convicted you. You can't do any of these things that I'm talking about without a complete and total surrender to the value that God saw, sees in you that he gave his son for you. We can't love people unless we know that we're loved and accepted. That's what sets us apart. It sets us apart. There's a lot of people out there that can do a lot of nice things for people. But if they don't know Jesus, they're not offering anything that lasts. And what we have is a hope of heaven to see his kingdom come and his will be done in our lives now as it is in heaven. It comes through a complete and total surrender to who he is as Savior and as Lord. If you're here today and you've never done that, I believe that God has purposed you and gifted you to do incredible works for his kingdom. I believe that every gift that you will ever need, you've already been given before the foundation of the earth. God has spoken them into you. But until you surrender your life completely and totally to who he is, those things lay unused. They lay wasted. And if you're ready to surrender your life to God, or maybe you need to just get back on track 
you need to rededicate your life to him. If there's any person in this place today that you're in that place and you know the Holy Spirit is, man, he's working on you, but it, it won't feel like condemnation. It'll just feel like, man, this is you and it's time to respond. If that is you, I'm not gonna embarrass you, but I'm gonna ask you just to be bold enough to let me pray with you and for you, to encourage you. If that's you, put your hand up right now across this room. As soon as I see your hand, you can put it down. Got it, got it, got it. Yes, yes, yes. Anybody else? Come on, just be bold. I want, don't, don't, don't just kind of slip it up and put it down. Jesus was bold for you. Be bold for him in this moment. Got it. Thank you, sir. Anybody else? I need Jesus. I got you guys. Thank you so much. Yes. Yes, ma'am. Thank you, guys. Raising your hand doesn't get you saved, but I, I promise you this. Every person that's raising their hand, they are feeling the grace of God hit them right where they're seated right now. Because when you take small steps of faith like that, God shows up in a big way. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Thank you. Thanks for being bold, bro. Yes, there at the back. Thank you, guys. Anybody else? You're ready to accept that you are loved, that you are bought with a price. You're ready to surrender your life to Jesus today. Anybody else? Okay. Every person, raise your hand. I just want to lead you in this prayer. And I want everybody to repeat this with me, okay? We got, you might have somebody sitting next to you that's praying this for the first time today. So let's help them with this. Repeat after me. Say, Heavenly Father. No, come on. They, we, we might need some more boldness in this because some of these people, man, they have been hurting their whole lives. They've been away from Jesus. And this needs to be loud enough that they can, they can make it a cry from their heart to their Heavenly Father if they need that. So say it again. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for me, to die for my sin. I know I can't save myself. But I believe you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. And I ask you to forgive me and I surrender my life to you. You don't just save me from my sin. You give me purpose. I declare you are my Lord. You're the boss. You're in charge. And I know that in that place is life and life to the full. So I accept it today. I'm gonna walk in it today. Use me, Father God, to show your love to whoever you send me to. God, that is a prayer of every one of our hearts, God. We're not gonna sit around and justify the who, the what, the when, and the where of who our neighbor is. God, our neighbor is near. Our neighbor is near. So lead us, Spirit of the living God. No matter how near it feels or how far it feels, they're near. Lead us to them, God. Help us to be faithful, not just to see and turn a blind eye, not just to walk over, but then walk away, but to walk over and get in the mess of people's lives, of their hurt, of their pain, and show them Jesus and show them love. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Guys, we had a bunch of people raising their hands to get right with Jesus. Let's praise God in this place for that.